Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In our text this morning, we find the disciples of Jesus in a boat on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a raging storm. As you read through the Gospels, it often seems as if the disciples were in a storm at sea, but but this time it's different. This time, Jesus is not with them. No, he's, he's still back on shore by himself praying. And so the disciples are on their own, and they were very afraid because they were now very far from shore. The waves were pounding their little boat and the wind was against them. The wind was against them. That's a good reason to be afraid, don't you think? After all, we all know the power of the wind, don't we? And every year during hurricane and tornado season, we were reminded once again that wind can destroy, wind can terrorize, Wind can kill. Of course, it's not just physical winds that that frighten us. And we always tend to become a bit anxious when the winds of change begin to blow through our lives, don't we? Whenever we enter into a new stage of life or whenever we have to let go of something we cherish, whether it be a job or a relationship or a home or a community or a dream or our health or our church, or the way we've always done things, 
we tend to become a bit unsettled and even afraid, especially when it seems as if we're going through it without Jesus. And so often in our lives, especially when we're sailing headlong into our most frightening storms, it seems as if Jesus is back on shore, nowhere to be found, unaware or unconcerned about our plight. And so we cling to our fear like it's a life raft. Of course, some of us have, have turned living in fear into a way of life as we are in constant fear of so many things. I mean, we, we live in fear of loss, fear of the unknown, fear of being alone, fear of abandonment, fear of not having enough, fear of embarrassment. We live in fear of pain, fear of illness, fear of rejection, fear of failure. And of course, most of us fear most of all death itself. But these fears, they, they paralyze us. And they prevent us from doing many of the things that we want to do and, and, and many of the things we know we ought to do. Fear makes it hard for us to think clearly and we never make good decisions when we are afraid. So I find it fascinating that fear has become such a major part of our society. I mean, we spend who knows how much money every year on things like movies whose sole purpose is to make us afraid. Fear has even become the center of our political system, replacing reason and compassion and intelligent arguments as the primary weapon used by political candidates and pundits to try to scare all of us into being very afraid of them and everything they want to do to us or take away from us. And some TV personalities have practically turned fear-mongering into an art form, albeit one in which truth is always optional. And we eat it up like candy, don't we? And yet I know of no phrase repeated more frequently in Scripture than do not be afraid. Fear is not God's will for his people. For nothing is more debilitating to our faith and the life that God intends for us than fear. Of course, there's perhaps nothing more frightening than the thought that we might actually be all alone in this life, that God is not with us, that we are on our own to make it through the storm. I'm sure the disciples must have thought that they were on their own, that Jesus had forgotten about them and that this would be the end of their journey. Perhaps some of them were holding out hope for a miracle that, that Jesus would show up in the nick of time with a fleet of ships to rescue them. But mostly they just bailed water and held on for dear life. But just when they were nearly exhausted and out of hope, they looked out through the wind and the waves and they beheld something that sent chills down their already cold, wet, shivering spines. They saw what appeared to be a ghost walking toward them on the water and they were terrified. 
But then this ghost did the most startling thing. It spoke to them, claiming to be none other than Jesus himself, saying, do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. You know, one of the most unsettling things about Jesus is that he rarely seems to show up in our lives in the way that we expect, or at least that's been my experience. Every time I I begin waiting for Jesus to come from a certain direction, he always seems to come instead from my blind side in a way that I did not anticipate. And that can be a bit frightening, especially when Jesus does not show up with the fleet of rescuers that we were hoping for. Now, we, we bow our heads, holding out for a miracle as we pray for a solution to a problem, healing for an illness, reconciliation for a relationship, recovery from an addiction. And then we look up to discover but an army of one, just a, a ghost-like Jesus coming toward us through the storm saying, do not be afraid, it is I. Now, when the text says, it is I, it is translating the Greek words, ego eimi, which can also be translated more simply, I am. Now, if you recall back in Exodus, when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and commissioned Moses to go back to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery into freedom, Moses asked God, who should he say had sent him? God said, you tell them, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Later, when the Israelites were given the Ten Commandments by God at Mount Sinai and were instructed to never take the Lord's name in vain, the people decided that it would probably better if they just never said that name at all, lest they use it inappropriately and be struck down for blasphemy. So rather than ever saying, I am, Yahweh, instead, they would say Adonai, which means Lord. So the disciples had all grown up never hearing or saying the name of God given to Moses because it was the divine name that was not to be spoken. And yet, here's Jesus walking on the water, master of storm and sea, doing something that surely only the Creator Himself could do and saying to them, take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Well, in response to this, Peter, you knew it would be Peter, didn't you? Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's really you out there, then command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Jesus steps out of the boat and amazingly begins walking toward Jesus on the water. And he makes it a a little ways through the storm, but then that little voice of reason inside Peter's head began shouting at him, and he suddenly remembered all about that deadly wind. And Peter becomes afraid, and he takes his eyes 
off of Jesus, which is what fear always causes us to do. And then Peter begins to sink, which is what always happens to us when we take our eyes off of Jesus. And as Peter is going down, he shouts out, Lord, save me. And immediately the text tells us, Jesus reached down and grabbed hold of Peter and raised him up out of the water saying, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, you have to wonder, why was Jesus chastising Peter here? I mean, he's the only one that had the guts to get out of the boat in the first place, right? I mean, the rest of the disciples are still huddling together in the boat, scared out of their wits, holding on for dear life. Why didn't Jesus rip into the other 11? I mean, Peter at least had some faith, and he was willing to let go of the security of the boat to get to Jesus. But you see, Jesus is always harder on those with a little faith than those with none at all. Because he expects us to have learned a few things along the way. He expects us to have been paying attention to what he's been doing in our lives and to trust that he is there with us, working for our good, even in the midst of the storms of life. Because there is no storm in this world that has power over its creator. So maybe then... Maybe Jesus is not chastising Peter for doubting that he could walk on water with Jesus' help. Maybe he's scolding Peter for failing to recognize that the great I am was there with him in the person of Jesus. Maybe what Jesus is saying is, if only you realize who it is that is here with you in the storm. If only you could see and believe that I am who I am, then all of your fears would melt away like manna in the hot desert sun. So maybe then faith is not believing that we can pull off a few miracles with God's help or thinking that if we just believe hard enough that maybe we can avoid the storms of life. No, maybe, maybe faith is simply believing despite all the evidence against it that God is truly with us in Jesus Christ even when we're tossing about in a storm. For even when we are at our weakest point in our faith and we cannot hold on to him, when we are sinking in our fears and our doubts, Jesus still reaches down and holds on to us. That's what the incarnation is all about. In Jesus Christ, God himself has come down alongside us in the midst of our chaos and adversity and doubt. Wherever the wind is against us, there Jesus is at work carrying out his Father's business of salvation in our lives. Jesus always enters into our struggles and our pain and our fears and says, take heart, I am who I am. Do not be afraid. Of course, there is no storm 
that makes us more afraid than that of death itself. But on the cross, Jesus has already defeated that greatest enemy of ours once and for all. So now we can look death fearlessly in the eye and say, where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and because he lives, death no longer has the last word on our lives, just as it did not have the last word on his. Well, now that Peter has been brought back from the brink of death, Jesus walks with Peter through the storm back to the boat where the rest of the disciples are all waiting. But they were no longer the same people they were when they got into that boat earlier. For now the Savior is in their midst, and they have beheld his glory the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And when Jesus steps into that boat, the wind and the storm immediately cease. And all of the disciples fall down on their knees and they worship Jesus saying, truly, you are the Son of God, the one whose name we cannot say. You know, when I read this passage, I can't help but see all the baptismal theology and imagery in this story. You know, Jesus calls Peter out from the unbelieving world. Peter then leaves his old life behind and comes to Jesus. Peter then goes down in the water into death. Jesus grabs hold of Peter, raises him up out of the water from death to new life. Then in union with Christ, having passed through the waters, Peter now walks with Jesus, who stays with him. Peter is then surrounded by the community of believers who gather together to worship Jesus, the one in whom we have encountered the great I Am. This is what happens to all of us in baptism. But now, through Jesus, we have been given a new name for God. The very name into which we are baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But now we no longer need to live in fear of saying that name. For Jesus himself has taught us to pray saying, Abba, Father. For through our union with Christ, we too are now beloved sons and daughters of the Father, have been, having been adopted into the triune family through baptism. And it is the Holy Spirit that makes this happen. You know, I always find it fascinating that the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's also the same word for wind. At the beginning of creation, the holy wind of God blew across the face of the deep, bringing light and life out of the darkness and chaos. 
And that same creative wind, the spirit of the triune God, is blowing through your life and through the life of this church, bringing new life where there only appeared to be death. Of course, none of us can safely avoid death. But being afraid is the best way to avoid life. And you can stop living a long time before you die. But if you're willing to take just a little step of faith, that holy wind will blow you right into the arms of Jesus, who promises to be with you always through every storm. And he will never, ever let you go even when you only have a little faith. Amen.